Aaron from San Diego. He is a world-renowned male model and uh, and an attorney on the side sometimes. I just like to see how he's dressed. I just, you know, every year I like to see. Um, he, <laughs> he is also the father of two sons, 19 and 22, and uh, one daughter that's 12 years old. And as a side here, I know some of us put Gail and some others on a prayer list last night. His wife, Dana, is leaving for South Africa tomorrow morning for a two-week ministry trip and mission trip. So put Dana on your prayer list. So it's a great pleasure to introduce Bill McCurran. Well, I'm really uh, glad to be here, and I appreciate the fact that you guys uh, have been very gracious and kind to me. You haven't said anything too disparaging, despite the fact that I'm so good-looking and you are, <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> Jealousy often hurts the body of Christ, but it obviously hasn't affected our relationship. I appreciate that. My roommate is uh, Dick Pippia. Dick, where are you? And uh, Dick is a snorer, a real snorer. But uh, thanks to Winston Parker, uh, he gave me a way of dealing with uh, the snoring, and I, and I have to tell you, it worked. It worked. I uh, climbed into bed with him, and I, and, I, and I whispered in his ear that I loved him. <laughs> He didn't snow anymore after that. <laughs> so I've, I'm, getting, uh, I'm getting up in years, and so I, I heard a joke that really expresses part of my life right now. This older couple, they've been married for a number of years. And they were forgetting things. And they thought, let's go to the doctor and sort of discuss this and see if there's something we should be doing. So they went to their doctor and they explained the problem. He said, look, it's really not anything other than you're growing older. And there's no medication for it, but there are some behavioral modifications that you can use and they will help. Just write notes to yourself so you don't forget things you want to remember. So they went home and the next morning they woke up and the husband was getting out of bed and the wife says, well, where are you going? He said, I think I'm going to go into the kitchen. She said, would you bring my arthritis pills? And he said, sure. She said, I'll write it down. Just go into the kitchen. I don't need to write this down. She said, you should write it down. So he's walking through the house toward the kitchen, and she shouts out one more time, write it down. He goes in the kitchen. A few minutes later, she hears all this ruckus, pots and pans, and 30 minutes later, he comes in, and he's got a tray with eggs and bacon and on a little platter, and he sits it down in front of her while she's in the bed, and she just kind of shakes her head in disgust, and she says, I told you to write it down. Where's the toast? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'd like us to, we're going to talk today about the, uh, oh, you know, I, can, I never start. I never start. I always have to start because Gail's not here. It's important to me to always acknowledge that Walt, whom you have met, and Gail, whom some of you have not met, um, are spiritual fathers. So anything you hear that is good, give them the credit. Anything you hear that is bad, it means that I still have a, so much more, more work to do. Block that out of your mind, okay? I need four readers. We're going to do some readings from the book of Genesis. And I, I need someone to read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Can I see a hand if you're going to do that? Okay. Um, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a list of sites. And then Genesis 15, I need someone to read verses 1 through 10. Who will do that? Thank you, TJ. And then Genesis 15, verses 11 through 21. Thank you very much. And then Genesis 17, verses 1 through 12. Thank you. Okay, starting then our first reading, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Be sure to take the mic uh, and read into the mic. Thank you. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Thank you. TJ, I think you're next. Genesis 15:1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since thou hast given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Could raise your mic one more time, please. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. 
and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had <coughs> set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the uh, river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadanites, Hittites, Perizzites, uh, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, uh, whateverites, and uh, Jebusites. <laughs> and our last reading from Genesis 17, please raise your mic. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God the Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said, said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Thank you. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord God, please open our hearts to your word and teach us truths that we can use every day. Reveal yourself to us Edify thy truth in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I'd like to talk to you about the Abrahamic Covenant. It holds some very exciting truths for believers today. It's a very exciting part of the gospel. And I'm not going to talk about it in great depth, although... It will seem that I'm talking about it too long. 
But there are aspects about it that I'm not going to deal with. But I am going to deal with a certain aspect of it. And I'm going to go through the definition of a covenant, contrasting the Abrahamic Old and New Covenants, the Abrahamic Covenant and the Family of Man, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Mystery of the Gospel, and the Great Commission. Four parts. And the first one I want to talk to you about is diversity. Uh, in the world today, diversity is typically viewed as a problem. You look at what's happening between the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda that led one missionary to say five years ago, there are no more devils in hell. They are all in Rwanda. You look at what is happening in the former Yugoslavia where the Croats and the Serbs are routinely killing each other and don't remember where it all started except that it started with the other one. Um, the world is full of problems where diversity <laughs> confounds us and often leads to violence. And I want to show you through the scripture today, and I submit to you for your consideration, let me put it that way, that diversity is God's plan for our salvation and for his glory. That diversity was deliberately done by God for his glory. It's not an accident, and it's, it's our problem, but it is not God's problem. Little Y, no, Y299. <laughs> okay, next. Uh, multiracialism and cross-culturalism have been God's plan from the very beginning. And the covenant, now let's, and I'm, we're going to see that. I want you to think about this. Multiracialism and cross-culturalism. When I say cross-culturalism, I mean when, when I go to, I, I was in Af South Africa in September. And I couldn't tell the difference between the Hutus there and the Osa and the Zulu people by appearance. Uh, they are, but they are cross-culturally different. You understand? So they come, you would, say, you would say that they come from the same racial stock, but there is significant cross-cultural conflict between the, those various tribes. Uh, similarities between covenants and contracts. There must be a knowing offer. Uh, you got to have things in a normal contract, like you got to know the terms, the key terms that make the contract alive, like the price. You got to know the conditions. If you do this, I'll do that. Uh, there must be a knowing acceptance. When you sign a contract, you got to know it's a contract and not thinking that you're going to resign a receipt uh, at McDonald's for a purchase. And it has to be legal and binding. Uh, they have those similarities. But they also, and all, one party's breach may excuse performance by the non-breaching party. I can say, you didn't do that. You didn't live up to your part of the bargain. And because you didn't live up to it, I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything. Okay. But there are significant differences between the covenants, contracts, and biblical covenants. A covenant does not have to be conditional. It does not have to be conditional. One party, generally the dominant party, can bind himself to an act even if the other party does not perform. And the dominant party sets the terms and conditions of the covenant the weaker person agrees. And a covenant is sealed with 
or ratified by blood. Now God speaks to Abraham. And now the Lord said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse you, curse those who bless you. And in thee all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now we may not understand at first blush the significance of families. But when we talk about the Canaanites as a where did they get their name? From Canaan, who was a son following down from the line of Abraham. They got their names from the progenitor of that family line. And often the area in which the people live take the name of the person who founded that area. We do the same thing today. California, we have Victorville in Southern California, started by a Victor family. Uh, and that is common. Next. Uh, this is from a Hebrew word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but I've gotten the pronunciation there for you to mess up rather than me. But it means literally kindred, families, and kinds. And right off the bat, when God is giving this blessing of a covenant to Abraham, he's telling him that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, this is not yet a covenant between Abram, then Abram and God, because there was yet no knowing offer. There was a knowing offer, but not yet a knowing acceptance. It was not yet sealed in or ratified by blood. And then God states later on the Abrahamic covenant. I'm sorry, Abraham responds to God. He said, Lord, how will I know that I'm really going to inherit this stuff? How do I know that this is really going to happen? And he said, and he then gives him the terms, what I want you to do. I want you to, we're going to engage in a sacrifice. And he divided every animal that he was going to sacrifice except the pigeons, which were too small. And he laid one on one side and one on the other. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him for righteousness. And he believed in the Lord. Believing God preceded the covenant and then God stated the covenant. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness was upon him. This was a darkness almost like the kind that the Egyptians felt as one of the last plagues before they freed the people, a darkness that was palpable. It almost felt like a cloak that was on you. And he said unto Abram, Know of a certainty that your seed will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall be afflicted for 400 years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and after they will come out with great substance. And you will go to your fathers in peace, you'll be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come forth again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. And in the same day, 
the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river the river Euphrates and one of the things that God did in the covenant I want you to understand the terms that we're talking about when we enter this covenant non-negotiable terms God sets the term Abraham makes a knowing acceptance of what's going to happen there was a knowing offer and a knowing acceptance and there was ratification by blood and the smoking furnace and the burning lamp both represent God as the smoking furnace God is a consuming fire and this expresses some of the character of God not all of the character of God it expresses one that God is a God of judgment and I know it is difficult especially today when there's such emphasis on the fact that God is love that we push out the knowledge that God judges and you will hear people today when you are witnessing to them and they just say I can't believe that God would send such and such a nice person to hell but God is one a God of judgment and he's a consuming fire and secondly God is dealing in our lives every day to make us the men he wants us to be. And in that consuming fire, God has to take the trash of our lives, my selfishness, my covetousness, my jealousy, my anger, my lust, and he has to burn it so that we will come forth as gold. So he is a God of judgment, and he is a God of a consuming fire cleansing. To the unbeliever, to the non-elect, as I would say, he is a God of judgment who is to be greatly feared. For his children, I fear God. Though I know he loves me deeply, I fear him, and I know that he purposes to chastise me, to make me the man that he wants me to be, that he will consume away the dross so that the gold will survive. He's a burning lamp because he is the light of the world. And there are aspects of this Abrahamic covenant that are so unique. They exist in no other faith. And it, it gives us both an obligation and a calling that is so unique. It's unique because God gives it but it's unique because God empowers us to do it, to understand the role of diversity in God's plan for his own glory. And because God is the light of the world, he says to us, don't you know what? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now only God passed through, not Abram, denoting an unconditional promise on God's part, not dependent on Abram's fulfilling his part of the contract since he had no such part. It was all of God in response to Abraham's believing faith. It was all of God. It is significant that God passed through the sacrifice because just as God called Abraham to sacrifice your only son, the son whom thou lovest, but stayed the hand before the blade went down. God did not spare his own son so that this covenant would be ratified. 
God went further than any of us could ever go. This vision also foretold the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because he presented his body a living sacrifice, the kind of sacrifice that cannot be made without the complete surrender of the thing sacrificed and the shedding of blood. It was the spilt blood of Jesus Christ that ratified this covenant and that set us on a course for understanding, among other things, our role in diversity for the glory of God. You can keep going. God seals the covenant and gives Abram a new name. In Genesis 15, God states the covenant. And in Genesis 16, right after God has stated the covenant, Abraham has a terrible lapse of faith and wrongfully concedes to a plan that Sarah had to produce a child to help God fulfill his promise and said, I want you to go and lay with Hagar, my woman servant. And that union produced Ishmael, he had long-term, very adverse consequences because of that lapse in faith. But God, by his mercy, very next thing, Genesis 17, God comes back and reaffirms the covenant and expands it and renames him Abraham and seals the covenant and asks Abraham now to seal the covenant with the permanent in the body sign of circumcision to remind Abraham, not God, that God would fulfill his covenant notwithstanding the lapses that Abraham was guilty of. The sins that you and I will do, God will fulfill his covenant nonetheless because God is faithful to his promises. And here how God restates part of that covenant. My covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I will make you a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. And Abraham literally means father of a multitude or chief of multitude. Now that word that is translated nations, you and I today would translate them people groups. The, the Hondurans and Argentinians are people groups. The Zulus and the Osas are a people group. The Afrikaners are a people group. You with me? I am going to make you a father of every people group that exists. Keep going. Even as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Oh, keep going. That is a quote from Galatians. And here again, it's saying, in thee, all nations shall be blessed. And it comes, the word nations is the Greek word ethnos from which we get ethnic or ethnicity. All right? So that God is going to bless in Abraham the man of faith the friend of God, all nations, all people groups, not 
50% of the people groups, not 97% of the people groups, but every people group will have a representative before God who knows him as Lord and Savior. God's divine plan involved diversity from the very beginning. Now the differences between, I want to leave that for a moment and just briefly go through the differences between the Abrahamic covenant, the old and the new covenants. And I'm reading now from Exodus. Now therefore, this is after the, the people have left Egypt, they have had a miraculous delivery by God through the instrument of Moses. The Ten Commandments and the other parts of the Levitical law have not yet been announced. Now therefore, God is speaking, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all the words that the God had spoken. And all the people of the Lord together said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, when they did that, they entered into a covenant with God. They said, God, we understand you're going to do this. And Lord, we are going to do this. And we're going to do how much of it? All of it. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well unto you. And he declared unto you his covenant which he commanded you to perform even ten commandments and he wrote them upon two tables of stone. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant is tied to the law and, and is tied to the Old Testament. It is tied because of their performance. You do A, and I'll do B. So if you don't do A, I, God, don't have to do B. Remember when the people walked into the promised land, there were two mountain peaks through which they passed. On the top of each mountain peak were men blowing horns, and one of them was shouting blessings if they obey, and the other one at the same time was shouting curses if they disobeyed. And they shouted them loudly, and they shouted them simultaneously as the people walked through. <sighs> but then it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day. That's the covenant that we just went over in Exodus 19. And I brought them out of the land of Egypt. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now this new covenant is so far superior to the old. For one, it is internal, and the other one was external. In the new, God saves and sanctifies, and the old man had to do most of the work. In the new covenant, man says, God, I am 
utterly dependent on you. If you do not enable me, I will surely fail. I recognize that I cannot make it without you. That you enable me in every way. But in the old one, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They, it, it was a covenant head. They had more wisdom. They would have said, God, there is no way. There is no way we can do this. From Galatians. It is written that Abraham had two sons, Ishmael by the bondwoman and um, Isaac by Sarah. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is, allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai bearing children who are to be slaves, that's Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, she is a mother. For Ishmael's birth represented Abram's attempt to manipulate the promises of God. Hearing the promise and believing in it up to a point, but then looking at his circumstances saying, I don't see how God is going to get from his promise to the fulfillment. I'm old, Sarah's old, she's well past the time of childbearing. I know God promised, and it must be that God wants me to take matters into my own hands. And so rather than fully trusting the promise of God and knowing that who fulfills the promises of God? God does. We do not fulfill the promises of God. God may use us to fulfill his promise, but that's different. You see the difference? So he goes off and he has this union with Hagar and produces Ishmael. That's why that is the child of flesh. It is of man's attempt to manipulate whatever the good reasons may be. The ends do not justify the means in the body of Christ. You with me? Sarah was the promised one, and it would be the God fulfilling his work without our doing anything other than believing and obeying and not manipulating. Now I want to talk about the Abrahamic covenant and the family of man. I want to go back to this. Even, and I'm from Galatians 3 when Paul is writing, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel. Before the good news of Jesus Christ, he preached to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations, ethnic groups, people groups, be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So let me ask you, when it says heathen, when it says heathen, to whom is Paul referring? Gentiles. 
it's the <laughs> I know it may be insulting to some of you, but biblically, when he when Paul is talking, there are the Jews, and then what other group? The Gentiles. It's the Jews and the Gentiles, and we happen to be among which group? The Gentile group. And it doesn't matter whether one speaks Spanish or French, whether one is Serb or Croat, we are part of the Gentile group. When he says again families, it's the same word that was back in Genesis 12, I'm sorry, Genesis 15, all families, kinds of people on ethnic groups. And nation, same. Heathen, Gentiles, now. The origin of families. I get excited when I talk about it. I'm deliberately trying to be calm. <laughs> it may not look it, but I'm deliberately trying to be calm. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark. Now, I'm only saying this because I believe the Bible is true. You understand? I'm only saying this because I believe that the Bible is true. The sons were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan, and these are the three sons of Noah. And what does it say? Of them was the whole earth overspread. Better translation. And from these, read it with me, the whole earth was populated. Next. Just begin to think. Acts 17. Paul is at Mars Hill. He is in this amphitheater. It is a place where you go and you debate ideas of the day. And he sees a, and, and the Greeks are known to have gods for everything. And there's one god with a statue and it says to the unknown god. And they didn't want to miss a beat. And just in case, they missed one. But there's a story behind the unknown God. When Athens was confronted with some kind of terrible disease, they, they sacrificed and they prayed and nothing was happening to their gods. But they had heard that there was a gentleman named Epimenides, and I may be pronouncing it incorrectly, Epimenides, who they heard knew about the one God. And they invited him, though he was from a warring country, to come to Athens and make sacrifice to this unknown God so that perchance that God would stop the plague where their gods could not. And Epimenides said, I want you to get a series of sheep and I want you to put them in a pen. And I do not want you to feed them for a certain number of days. Don't feed them at all. And then after the passage of those days, I want you to take them out to a field ripe with grass. And of course, they think this is all nuts, but they are up against the wall and they follow his instructions. The sheep go out to the field and certain of the sheep simply sit down in the grass and do not eat. While the others, terribly hungry because they haven't eaten for days, just eat, just eat, 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 eat. 
And finally, they ask him, why did you do this? And he said, well, we know that there is one supreme God and only one, creator of all. But we don't know much about him. There is only so much he has revealed to us. Do not presume that we know how to sacrifice to him. That's a presumption on our part. And so I asked this God if he would find an acceptable sacrifice so that we could enter into his presence. And he unfolded this plan to me and clearly we couldn't choose the sheep, only he could. And only the living God could prevent famished sheep from eating in a field abundant with food. And he says, those are the sheep we will sacrifice to this God. And they did. And they created the statue. They didn't know a name for him. The unknown God. That is the statue that Paul comes upon at Mars Hill. And when he's talking and debating with the men there, he says to them, from one man, he made every nation of men. And again, that phrase that we translate in that Bible, every nation of men, comes from the same word that we translate ethnic or ethnicity. From one man, he made every people group that they should inhabit the whole earth, and listen to this, he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Why? So that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Indeed, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now, gentlemen, that means that if Ed Turley gets on his genealogical train and goes back to his grandmother and his great-grandmother and back and back, he'll get down to Shamham, Japheth, Noah, and back to Abraham. And if I get on my genealogical train and take the same trip, wherever I started, we're going to reach the same junction at Japheth, Sham, and Ham, and Noah, and we're going to get on the same train back to Abraham. Unless this is not true. So when you and I war, even as unbelievers, you with me? We don't know God, we don't profess God, we don't know Jesus Christ. But we kill one another, it is fratricide. It is fratricide. How much more than the obligation if we profess the name of Jesus Christ. Because we not only have the same biological lineage all the way back to Abraham, but we are now the sons of Abraham by faith because we believe God. And God set the times when they would live. I haven't seen a Canaanite lately. I've looked. And even on the internet, they have not yielded one address for a Canaanite. God determined when they would cease to exist as a people. Slavery, great evil, great evil. 
but God was behind the exact places where people live. I am here, not by chance, but by the design of God. You are here in Colorado Springs, having moved from Tennessee, not by chance, but by the design of God. And somebody right now is in Rwanda or Croatia or Afghanistan, not by chance, but by the design of God for one reason, that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And we have a role in that as the children of God to understand the movement of people groups for the glory of God. Oh, I get right. Adam, Noah, Ham, Shem, Japheth, mankind. When we did Roots with Alex Haley and it captivated the nation, it didn't go far enough. It was good. Didn't go far enough. He stopped way too soon. He should have gone back to Noah and then to Adam. And he would have met a slaveholder or a Ku Klux Klan member and a Canaanite and a Jebusite. Now look at this. Ham, one of the sons of Noah. Who were his sons? Canaan, Mizraim, Cush, and Foot. I may be pronouncing that. Go back one. Canaan, from which we get Canaanites. Tell me, uh, tell me a famous Canaanite. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over for side two. There's actually one in Hebrews 11. Rahab. Okay? Mizraim, and when you go through your Bible, if you now look at it, you will find the name Mizraim and Egypt used interchangeably. Cush. Cush is the Hebrew word. Guess what it's the Hebrew word for? I'll give you five bucks if you guess this. That's a lie. I'm not going to give you anything, but it sounds good. <laughs> guess what Cush means in Hebrew? Say it. Black. Ethiopia is just the Greek version of that. Ethos. Ethos means face. I mean, ops means face, and ethos means burnt. Burnt face. Cush. So the reason, one of the reasons I get excited about this and, and you share the gospel with somebody and they want to know, well, what about the people where? In Africa. They always say that. I say, well, did you know that the Old Testament is largely a book about God's interaction with the Hebrew people and the people of Africa? I mean, look at it. On what continent is Jerusalem? What is the Middle East? I submit to you. <laughs> the Middle East is a Western construct. 
it is no more than northern Africa. And when they traveled, when Abraham traveled south down into Egypt and the people traveled south down into Egypt, they traveled into, now they call it the Middle East, and then when people say Africa today, they only mean Sub-Saharan Africa. And I think, well, it blinds us to the global reach of God to do that. You understand that the people of Africa had the gospel long before the people of Europe. And what that tells us, it frees us up to recognize the fellowship that we have that may have been lost but can be regained through the same Savior. And so you will find through the Bible, they'll talk about Cush, it'll talk about Mizraim. These are names. The countries are named after them. You understand? Like Victorville. God always intended the Jews to be an evangelistic missionary people encompassing all peoples. And so he intends the church today. He intended that from the very first time he took not first, from his early dealings with Abraham, excuse me, his early dealings with Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you the father of all people groups who by faith come to know me. Now, Isaac passes this blessing that God gave to Abraham, and Isaac passes it down to Jacob. Now, it's very interesting. The first time Jacob got the blessing, he got it by deceit, pretending that he was his older brother Esau, conspiring with his mother. Why? Because they believed the promise of God, but didn't believe that God could work it out himself. And so they manipulated the circumstances to bring about or further the will of God as though God needed them to fulfill his own promises. So he gets this blessing by tricking his father. But then later in Genesis 28, after Isaac is shocked when he realizes Esau has come, come in from hunting and says, okay, dad, bless me. I'm ready for my blessing. And his dad is just shocked says, who are you? He said, well, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Oh, he realized I got cheated. But, but Isaac, bless his heart, realized eventually that he was himself trying to frustrate the promise of God because God had made it clear that the line of Christ was going to come down through Jacob, not through Esau. But it said that Isaac loved Esau because Esau brought him the food that he likes. Uh, Rebecca loved Jacob. And there is, just a quick aside, such a tendency to frustrate the purposes of God because we won't yield to them because they conflict with our personal preferences. But anyway, Isaac gives a knowing blessing to his son. And he says, look, and may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may what? Become a company of what? Say it with me. Peoples. The King James, which is 
a wonderful translation, says a company of people, but the word is plural. It is not singular. It is a company of peoples. And the word that is translated peoples means people groups or ethnic groups. And, and, and uh, Isaac expressly tells Jacob, I am giving you the blessing of Abraham. That Abraham was going to be the father of people groups. Jacob, we're passing that promise down through you. So he's gotten the knowing blessing following his deceit, the one garnered by deceit. But now he's got to get the heck out of Dodge. Because Esau, who is, among other things, a skillful hunter and a short-tempered man, is hot on his trail. And he is fleeing. And so it says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Uh, he said, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, because it is where I saw God face to face and my life was spared. Um, and Israel means he will rule with God. Whenever you see E-L at the name of a word, like Michael, Israel, it's referring to it's God something. He will rule as God. Originally, as Jacob, his name was supplanter. Because when he was coming out of the womb, he had his hand on Esau's heel. And um, they called him, they was named Jacob, or supplanter, or deceiver. But when God dealt with him, God gave him a new name. Just as God renamed Abram, so he renamed Jacob. And it came after a lapse of faith and a crisis of faith in both men's lives. And yet, in each case, God mercifully appeared and reaffirmed his covenant after this lapse. So we see... You're going to be the father of all people groups who by faith come to know me. Now let's look at the origin of the nation of Israel. So you understand that Israel got its name through Jacob, renamed Israel. You with me? Now Abraham began as a missionary, right? Because God called him out of his home, and God was very clear about this. I said, I want you to leave your home. Leave your father's house, leave your relatives, leave everything that you're familiar with, and I want you to go in a land you do not know and deal with the people you do not know. Isn't that what a missionary does? Okay, next. Now Israel as a nation, as a nation, was born on the mission field. Okay, let's go through that. Jacob goes in, you know the story with Joseph, who was sold into slavery by jealous brothers, and he was sold to whom? No. To the Ishmaelites. Where do the Ishmaelites come from? 
Ishmael. Where did Ishmael come from? Hagar. And what did that happen from? A lapse of faith. So here, the child of promise, now through Joseph, is sold to Ishmael, Ishmaelites, the child of the flesh. Constant struggle in our lives as Christians. Not to be sold out to those who can give us business but don't know God. Can help us join their country club as long as we don't talk about God. Who will help our careers as long as we make it very clear that God is not a part of this. So Jacob and his band eventually go into Joseph where Joseph is now second in Egypt only to Pharaoh. All the souls that came into, with Jacob into Egypt which came out of his loins besides Jacob's sons, wives, all the souls were three score and six which is seventy. And the sons of Joseph which were born him in Egypt were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob whose name is what? Israel, which came into Egypt were threescore and ten, which is seventy. Now, this is when they leave. Moses has done wonderful things under the instruction of God. And the Israelites journeyed, they have been, Pharaoh has now said, please leave. Whereas before he had said, I don't know God and I will not let the people go. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth and there were about 600,000 men on foot, not counting the women and children. Many what? Other people went up with them as well as large droves of livestock. Now let me go back. Remember that diagram, Ham? Then he had Cush. Foot, Canaan, and Mizraim, which is called Egypt. Simple biological fact, okay? It is possible for a black family to have a white child, just the way the genes operate. You with me? Are you with me? I need some assurance. You cannot have a black child from a completely white union. Just, just genetics, that can't happen. You with me? So we know that Cush is the Hebrew word for black. His other name, his Greek name is Ethiopia, burnt face. So what does that tell us about Ham? He's black. From what you and I would know and looked at him in the street, he would be, you would say, there goes a black guy. All right, now, so, he is in Egypt, Mizraim, son of Ham, and many other people went out with them. Those many other people who went out with them looked like you. You with me? I pointed to Carlton. Carlton, stand up. That's who I was pointing to. That's the you. All right? Next, please. Now, when the Hebrew people marched out of Egypt, they did not leave along. It says in Exodus, a mixed multitude went with them. And the word mixed multitude means a mixed group, mixed people group. 
Now imagine, Egypt is a very powerful country. It's got a, it did have, <laughs> until this in instance, an incredible culture and an incredible economy. Of course, when they left, it was devastated. So all kinds of people from Africa were going to Egypt, just like people are traveling from all over the world to come to the United States because that's where the money is, that's where the education is, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's the way it was with Egypt. So you got people coming from all over to go to this cultural economic center. And those people see what is happening and they say, we don't want to stay here. The economy is shot. We know that the sun god is not the god that's doing anything for any of us. We're going to leave with these people and we will be part of that mixed multitude. You with me? All right. Now, this is logical. After the plagues of blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and death of firstborn males, in which God said, let me give you an example, but on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, which is the, the district where the Hebrew people were segregated in Egypt. I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live, no swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. See, people believed that gods were territorial. And within their territory, they were unbeatable. Now, when they went up to the border, their powers might weaken. So here is God dealing with the gods of Egypt, and he starts with the gods of, the, of every element that they deal with. Water, dust, air, sun. He goes right up the pyramid of Egyptian spiritual hierarchy, and he kicks butt from the bottom to the top. <laughs> Our God is a great God. Uh, other one. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. The magicians who could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on whom? All the Egyptians, guess who wasn't scratching? The people in Goshen, the Hebrew people. Well, keep going, on and on. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to live in Egypt and catch this kind of hell day after day after day. And when it talks about a darkness in there, gentlemen, it was a darkness, they couldn't light a match. They couldn't rub flint. It, it, they could not produce light of any kind when God brought the darkness. But there was light in Goshen. So these people are looking at this, and they're swatting flies and gnats and watching their livestock. And then over there in Goshen, the people are sipping lemonade. <laughs> now it does, and, and Pharaoh, who is the the son of Ra is scratching like every other common Egyptian. And his firstborn son dies just like every other common Egyptian. There is no light in Pharaoh's house just like in the rest of Egypt. So these non-rocket scientists see this and when the Hebrew people leave and they look at the devastated economy of Egypt, it's not a hard decision to say, do I stay? Or do I follow these people who have a God who is not bound by territory? 
And so a multitude went with them who looked like, come on, Carlton. Okay, sit down. Next. Um, now listen, Jacob is having a conversation with Joseph. This is at the beginning. Well, it's when the, the Israelites are in good favor. And he says, you know, Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your number. And I will make you, Jacob, whose name is what? A community of people groups. Isn't that the same thing that he said to Abraham? God is fulfilling his purpose and his promise for his own glory. He wasted Egypt to do it. But he did it. Okay. And Jacob said to Joseph, oh, that's just another translation. You can see it. And again, that company of peoples, it means a multitude, an assembly, a congregation. Just like when God said, I'm going to make you a, multi a multitude of peoples will come from you. So God, gentlemen, was thinking about diversity and reaching all people groups. Not some, not most, all from the very beginning of his first covenant. So Israel as a nation was born in a foreign Gentile land. There should have been no more evangelical society in the world than Israel because of the promise that had been given to Abraham, repeated to Isaac, passed down through Jacob, who was called Israel, and, and to confirm it, a multitude of those peoples left with them. Oh, what evangelists and missionaries they should have been. Keep going. Oh, um... I just want to tell you, just to get into this idea of black, not for anything, but for the glory of God. That's the only purpose that we talk about it. The Bible describes Egypt as the land of Ham. You with me? And it says in, in Psalm 106, they forgot the God who served them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham. Oh, I love this. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. See, to build them up as a nation, he built them as a nation in a foreign land, in a foreign culture with a language they did not speak. More than any other peoples, they should have known what it was like to be in a foreign land, in a culture that you don't understand, in a language you don't know, but having the one true God as your shepherd and the truth that they could carry out with that. And Egypt was their ransom because he wasted Egypt in order to keep his covenant promise to Abraham and to build a nation, Israel, and a community of peoples. So Israel learned the glory and power of God at Egypt's expense. And God showed him a, himself a great deliverer by Pharaoh's opposition. Asenath. I'll go quickly through that. Pharaoh gave Joseph his daughter as a prize by whom he had two sons. 
Manasseh and Ephraim born in Egypt. So I'm telling you, I submit to you that, uh, that their mother is what you and I would call black. And if you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, just, just family names, it's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. And Joseph are broken down into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. I love it when I see a Jew with kinky hair. <laughs> and I say, where did you get that hair? And then I can't wait to tell them. <laughs> All right, but, but so, I mean, he's got a black wife, he's got two sons, and they produce part of the 12 tribes, 12 lineage, but but it's rare today to find a Jew who can say what tribe he belongs to. It's generally fiction because all the records were destroyed in the temple, remember, in 70 AD. And they do it more by cultural construct. If my name is Shoet, then I was a butcher that was probably a Levite. But they don't know by genealogical record. Uh, I'll just go through that, just establishing who the sons were uh, and that they were given part of, the, part of the land was divided up to them. Um, okay, and two portions were given to Joseph because he's got two sons and he's given a double portion. Half tribe to Manasseh and another half to uh, Ephraim. And you can check the references there. Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, just, just a little aside. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. And what does Cush mean? Okay, so we're on the same page, Link? Okay, go past that. Go, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Okay, right here. Keep going. Keep going. Ah, this is it. And again, the purpose of doing this is to show that from the beginning, God was purposing to establish his reign in the hearts of every people group who through faith acknowledged him as Lord. You understand? When Israel was formed as a nation, again in modern times, they heard that there were a group of Jews trapped in Ethiopia. And you know, the Jews have a, what I call a liturgical calendar. There's a prescribed place where they're supposed to be in the, in the text. It goes down through time. So no matter where you are as a Jew, if you follow that calendar, you're reading the same book, same page, same verse. You with me? So the, the, uh, the, the nation of Israel does an airlift into Ethiopia to find these trapped Jews. And they find them. And behold, they look like They are at the same book, same chapter, same verse as the Orthodox Jews in Israel. They had not missed a beat in centuries of separation. Centuries. Now, they are called Beta Israel, Phalacia Jews, or Halacia Jews, and uh, often called Sephardim Jews, as opposed to Ashkenazi, which are more European Jews. They have a website. It, it, it was voted in 1994 the best website on the internet. 
it is fat, it's very interesting. I put that up there. I won't leave it up there because you can get it later if you want to access it. Marvelous stories. Because when the Hebrews, when the Israelites went there and they, and they had all these planes and they did this airlift, they had to stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, do we go back? <laughs> Knowing now what we know. So they haven't airlifted all of the Felicia Jews out of uh, Ethiopia yet. Okay, next. Jesus' gene genealogy is a direct descendant to Rahab the Canaanite, son of whom? Ham. Who is what? See, God is reaching out all the time to people. He has never, from the very beginning, he has been a God of all people groups. Okay. And that's a shortened firm. Abraham, Judah, Rahab, David, Solomon, Joseph. And through Mary's line, Adam, Jacob, Judah, Rahab, David, Nathan, and Heli. Next. I'll give that to you so you can look at it later. I'm trying to hurry and get through this so I can avoid questions. Okay. <laughs> the Abrahamic covenant, the mystery of the gospel, and the great commission. Now again, we have gone over this verse. You've seen it. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he said, I am in thee all nations shall be blessed. And again, nations means, it's the Greek word there actually translated ethnos or ethnic groups. All ethnic groups, all people groups shall be blessed. And again, I ask you this, you can keep going. Who are the Gentiles? Now, the gospel inextricably involves the Abrahamic covenant. Next. Faith in the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, and all people groups. And we don't know who they are. We do not know. I mean, we... Uh, uh, not. This doesn't lessen our responsibility to take the gospel to the deepest, most impenetrable parts of the world. But God is going to fulfill his covenant to Abraham. He is going to have representatives from every people group before his throne to glorify his name. And he's going to do that with us, but he's going to do it even if you and I don't enlist The mystery of the gospel. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me, this is Paul writing, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words, whereby when ye read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles, who is everybody who's not a what? That all the people groups of the world who are not Jews should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. The Jews made an error that you had to become a Jew in order to be saved and as a precondition to be saved. And so that was a huge conflict in the early church. You've got to be a Jew first. And that salvation was a matter of status and works, not relationship and faith. Well, the era of the church today, that you have to be white or western, 
in order to be saved and as a precondition of salvation. Now how is that expressed? That's expressed in different cultures by saying that cultural expression is wrong. In order to be a Christian, when you pray, you have to do it a certain way. You have to sing these hymns. You don't dance. You understand what I'm saying? When, when I went to South Africa, and uh, I, I am a strong missionary supporter. And uh, the one thing I have learned from missionaries is that when they go abroad, they never, let me not overstate the case. They, do, they seldom talk about Christianity, which is associated as a, it's a Western construct that's associated with racism, next, and imperialism. They talk about what? Jesus. 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 The, the people don't need to hear about Christianity. You and I, when we go, and I include me because I am Western. You understand? I am a Westerner. When I went to South Africa, I had to be so sensitive about, un, about not taking Christianity with me. But taking with me Jesus Christ. And try to consciously believe behind as much as possible the cultural baggage that I have glommed onto Jesus and called it Christianity. So I got to wear my hair a certain way. Got to wear a certain kind of dress. Got to sing a certain kind of hymn. I got to get rid of all of that and not tell them about Christianity. What they need to know is Jesus. Jesus and him crucified. And the message of the gospel is the same in the city of San Diego as it is in the Kalahari bush, as it is in Shoshengovi, as it is in Croatia. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel. And that salvation is a matter of status and, not, and works, not relationship and faith. I think our church has made the same mistake that the Hebrews made. Ah. But it says, now, by the transgression of the Jews, salvation has come to the Gentiles. But then God uses the salvation of the Gentiles to make the Jews, what? Jealous. Jealous. Why? So that they would seek God. That they would get away from status that they would get away from works, and that they would seek God himself. At the first, Moses says, and I'm reading from Romans, I will make you jealous. Now, this is what Moses said back in centuries before. I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding will I anger you. How many of you were either at or saw on screen the, um, what was it called, the Million Man March, but I mean the real one? Stand in the Gap. How many of you were there or saw it on a screen? Do you remember the one moving? I mean, the whole thing was moving. But there was one section where a Jew took the podium and he said to God in prayer, I am so 
jealous that you have revealed yourself to these people. And we who had the promises and the covenants and the prophets and the law and the book. And now these people have a relationship with you. And it makes me realize I don't. I'm jealous. But I want not the jealousy, but the relationship. Seeing the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in part through the salvation of the Gentiles and being provoked to jealousy thereby, the Jews will repent and turn to Christ. The Jews will, will see through God's dealing with the Gentiles that the just shall live by faith. How many of you have ever, raise your hand if you have ever read or heard this verse before. <laughs> Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, old thing, all things are become new. I love it. I love it. And almost every time I've heard it, it's taken out of context. Almost every single time. What does it mean? What does it mean? 2 Corinthians 5 verses 10 through 20 is where it comes from. And it starts, it starts with the word, therefore. Now I know my dear father, Walt, taught me this. If it says therefore, it means what? You got to find out what the therefore is there for. Something was above it that led to the conclusion therefore. Here's where it starts. We are all new. And one of the things we realize that makes us new is that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's one thing that we have in common, that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Next thing, the love of Christ constrains us. That means Christ's love, what he did for us on the cross, is so real and so alive that despite our own hang-ups and despite our own baggage and despite our own misgivings, we are compelled to act in a certain way. That left to our own devices, we won't do that, but we are constrained by Christ. To go to someone who doesn't look like me, with whom I am uncomfortable because he or she is different. But I am constrained to say, do you know Jesus? Or how's your life spiritually? And too often we go only to people who what? Look like us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live 
should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The same as I am crucified in Christ. I no longer have a right to my personal opinions on these matters. It's God's opinion or no opinion. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Because of those, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We are constrained by the love of Christ. And my mind just went blank on the third one. Well, you saw it. We cannot regard one another. I can't say to anybody, I want you to meet Ed Turley, my white brother in Christ. I, I can't do that. And I can't say, well, I, want, I ought to share the gospel with that guy, but I can't because he's Hispanic or he's Asian or he's from Sudan. I don't know. I, I, gentlemen, when we know that we're going to stand before the judgment Christ and Christ's love constrains us. Oh, yeah. And that one died for all. I have given up my right to make how a person looks matter in how I deal with them. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's where it belongs after realizing we can't judge anyone together anymore as white, black, Hispanic, or anything. Therefore, therefore, and then it goes on, and it says now, now that you understand that we are new creatures in Christ, old has passed away. All our prejudices, all our hang-ups, all our excuses for not helping, not helping, not being available to God to do in me what he must do in my life and in the lives of others. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us, us, who have gone through those three realizations and that one therefore, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, committed to us, and put in our trust the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Under his authority, going out by his authority, carrying out his plans as though God were pleading to the unsaved through us, pleading to come to Jesus. <clears throat> know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And he says, go, make disciples of all the what? What's the real word? People groups, people groups baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and getting them to obey everything that I've commanded to you. Again, we've gone through the, the definitions. And he says, look, I will make my covenant between me and you, Abraham. And Abraham fell on his face. And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold my covenant with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many people groups. 
the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled. Look in Revelation. Our Lord has come back. And it says they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and you purchased us for God. The blood, with thy blood, the men from what? How many tribes? Every tribe and language and people group and nation. Do you think he's driving home a point? And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Gentlemen, you know where it says in Philippians that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But do you realize that it has two components? Because it says, how many knees? And how many tongues? Gentlemen, that includes the people who never came to Christ. They will confess it and they will bow, but it will be an act of abject horror. You understand? It will be a terrifying act for them. No hope, no tomorrow, it's over. And then for others of us who have come to know Jesus, we will do the same thing. We will kneel and bow. But instead of terror, there will be celebration. There will be great joy. And so I leave with you something that one of our dear brothers named Joseph D'Souza, who was Indian, East Indian, said to me, and it is his analogy, he said, Brother Bill, with this beautiful Indian accent, Brother Bill, said, imagine the Summer Olympics at the closing ceremonies when all of the participating nations parade in their dress, carrying their flags toward the Olympic torch, and then magnify that so that every people group, from first people group to last, will come before God in their dress and in their tongue, all their banners waving to the glory of God. Because not one tongue and not one people group, not even 90%, can give God the glory that is his due. So we share this joy, the ministry of reconciliation, because God made a covenant with Abraham, which he is living out in our lives. Are we available to God to do it?